The Oregon State Beavers moved to 2-1 for the first time since 2015 with a 42-0 win over Idaho. Next up, USC in the start of the Pac-12 season. I am Aaron Fentress along with Oregon State beat writer Nick Dasher, who was at the game on Saturday. Nick, let's dive right into the game itself so we can get it out of the way and get to the good stuff. <laughs> Looking forward to the Pac-12 season. Uh, what were your impressions of the Idaho team, well, not Idaho team, but the Oregon State slamming of Idaho, 42-0. Was it impressive or was it just eh, a big sky domination? It was a big sky domination. I mean, it, it's it's hard, to, it's hard to, you know, come away from a game against an Idaho team and, and think, wow, this team is, is on to bigger and, you know, on to something bigger and better. I mean, it was what you expected. You expected Oregon State to dominate. It wasn't quite like the Oregon game where, you know, it was kind of Close in the third quarter. This one was Oregon State from the jump. It was twenty. It was twenty-eight to nothing at halftime. Idaho really only had one serious scoring threat. Um, the the defense, outside of maybe having a little trouble containing the quarterback C.J. Jordan, a kid from Jefferson, um, they had a little bit of trouble with him. Outside of that, Idaho, frankly, didn't didn't do anything running or passing wise. And the offense was was good. I mean, to say it was great, no, but I, they did what they had to do, and and now it's on to USC. Exactly. You know, you win a game like this, you expect to win it. So it doesn't necessarily mean great things are coming, but I always look for signs of either, you know, trouble or signs that there's a lot of positives going on. And this was as methodical a beatdown as you could really ask for, unlike Oregon. You mentioned Oregon. I got in trouble with some Duck fans on Twitter for saying that this was just brutal when it was 17-7 at halftime. To me, given where Oregon is, that's just unacceptable. You should not be 17-7 with your quarterback knocked out at halftime, whereas Oregon State came out and just methodically dominated this game. So for me... This game showed a lot of good signs that this team can win four games in the Pac-12 and reach a bowl game, whereas the Oregon game, to me, gave me a lot of reasons to believe there's no way they're going to run the table and be a playoff team. But let's focus on Oregon State. Let's start with the offense first. Chance Nolan, 14 of 19, 175, three TDs, no picks. They rushed for 248. Offensively, there were hardly any hiccups, correct? Correct. Yeah, Chance Nolan continues to... Uh, I guess you want to say he continues to ascend. Um, last year, he you know he he was barely over fifty percent as a as a completion percentage. This year, he's 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 clearly a better passer. He's he's over seventy percent. He 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 throws, and that's with a few throwaways. He's 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 just on the money with his throws. He's not running at the at the first sign of pressure like he like he did a little bit last year. Um, you know, he's just, he looks like a guy that deserves to be the starting quarterback at Oregon State. And barring an injury, I I can't imagine they're going to make any sort of change anytime soon with with Chance Nolan. As far as, you know, the other thing that came out of the game is that you, you wanted to see a continuation of the running game dominating because that's where this offense really starts with is with the running game. And it wasn't very good at Purdue. They got it. They got it going against Hawaii, and they continued against Idaho, where they just they just dominated up front. And where they didn't run, I'm not saying they, they didn't run off any 40 or 50 yard runs, but every every run was physical, and and they got what they needed out of the running game. So from that standpoint, the offense, you know, made it made a somewhat of a statement if you could do that against an Idaho team. 
Yeah, so right now, after three games, they're averaging 194 per game on the ground, which is third in the conference, and they're averaging 5.5 yards per carry, which is also third. So that's clearly a good sign, especially for a team that does a lot of play-action passing, correct? Correct, yeah. No, and, like it's, and, and, they have, and they have three, and they got Deshaun Fenwick going a little bit in the Idaho game, so that was a positive. So now they got three running backs that they can – they can count on in, in conference play, but B.J. Baylor is, is clearly the guy that's going to start games, and, and they'll try to get him hot first. Now, wide receiver, they've been spreading the ball around a lot. Um, do you feel like they need to find a go-to guy, or do you feel like the you know go-to guy by committee is working fine for them? Bradford's leading the team with 12 catches, also leading with 171 yards, has not scored yet. And then you have Anthony Gould, who has eight catches for 127. Well, I, I was going to kind of ask you that a little bit just because of, you know, your experience as a receiver. Um, you know, I kind of think, you know, they had Hodgins the first two years and whenever Luton needed a, needed a, a first down or a big throw, it was to Hodgins. And this team doesn't seem to have that guy yet, but they also don't have a six foot four you know, receiver like a Hodgins either. So I don't know. I mean, they have more receivers than they've ever had. I don't know if they have any A, you know, A-list receivers on there. And the other thing that, you know, I I wonder, they still haven't really got the tight ends going, particularly Luke Musgrave. They both had three – both their, their two tight ends had three catches against Idaho each. But, I mean, it was it was Idaho. And you, at some point you got to get the 6-6, one of those 6-6 guys going, out, you know, in the passing game. Yeah, the danger there is if you are relying heavily on your run game and setting up play action to help your quarterback and you don't have a dominant threat on the outside that the defense has to fear, then it makes it easier for the defense to key in on the run because they're not fearing someone's going to blow the top of the defense off of them or someone's uncoverable in man-to-man or in, you know, simple zones to keep them in front of them, et cetera, et cetera. That's where someone like, you know, Brandon Cooks was so valuable back in the day when he was ripping up. Uh, college football because that guy you had the game plan for. So if teams are approaching Oregon State and thinking, okay, we don't have the game plan for these receivers. They're all just okay. They can make plays, but none of them, none of them are going to kill us. Then they're going to devise ways to focus mainly on the running game, especially since right now the running game is the calling card of this team at third in the conference at 194 per game. And and maybe they haven't shown everything yet. I mean, right. it's it's hard to believe that Luke Musgrave has not got going yet because of the way he looked in camp. And you just, it's possible they haven't they haven't done it, shown everything yet. They want to wait till conference play. But and and again, I think it's a little bit hard to do when a lot of your receivers are under six. You know, most of the receivers are six foot and under. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't really have any big tall guy. You know, they have a couple of six two guys, but. They just they don't have the big big receivers like Oregon has. All right, let's shift over to the defense now. You know, again, you it's Idaho. You you just want to see them dominate if you're Oregon State. You don't want to see them somehow give up 24 points or what have you. And they didn't. They did dominate. They held them to 192 total yards of offense, 84 passing, and probably more important than anything, four of 13 on third downs, which was a problem against Hawaii when they had surrendered nine of 16 conversions. Well, like I said, the only trouble they had a little bit was in the first half with Jordan when he was running, you know, RPOs. And and, and I think he had 55 yards at halftime. But the good thing was, is in the second half, he had seven carries for no yards. So they made some adjustments and, and, and got after him. 
The, the other big thing to take out of this game, and again, it's Idaho, but they had 12 tackles for loss. You know, they had 11 quarterback hits. They, they, they were, they were living in the backfield. And that's, and, the, and that's kind of what Oregon State's moving toward is right, right now they know they, they lead the conference in tackles for loss. And I think they're ninth in the country in tackles for loss at the moment. I, again, it's Idaho, but everybody's had an right. Idaho on their on their on their on their schedule so far. So, right, uh, it, it, and they've and they've done this in other games too. Not not twelve tackles for loss, but they've had you know good good totals in all three of their games. So they're getting back to two thousand nineteen from that aspect and getting into the backfield and causing some trouble. And they're tackling better, and and and. and it's it's hard to say that the secondary really had much of a challenge out there Saturday. So, you know, they, they play they played, you know, we'll have to see how they perform at USC because, you know, those receivers are going to be a, a much different animal than what they saw Saturday. <laughs> Definitely. And they did surrender a lot of passing yards to Hawaii and Purdue. As far as uh, their standing in the conference, you mentioned the 27 TFLs. That's a ton through uh, three games, or you mentioned that to me in a text message, I guess. And there's they have seven sacks, which is tied for second in the conference with Oregon and UCLA. ASU leads the conference with nine. They're second in rushing defense at 94.7. That's a pretty nice number right there. What do you make of their run defense altogether as it enters the Pac-12? Yeah, I mean, mostly, I mean, again, they played three teams that probably aren't going to be, you know, they're probably going to be among the bottom five in in teams that they run against but i mean years past they haven't they haven't slowed down anybody so the fact that they you know they're, they're winning they're winning at battles that they should win you know that that's encouraging because that hasn't <laughs> happened in a while so um yeah i think they're giving up i want to say it's 2.8 yards a, a carry which is you know, a good number you know they do that against usc they're in business they're in business You are listening to Beaver Banter, a podcast from the Oregonian and Oregon Live. We'll be back after a quick break. Okay, so we we can move past Idaho now. I mean, let's, uh, before we get into their Pac 12 chances uh, overall in terms of winning four games, let's just start with the USC game because clearly USC has been. Not overwhelmingly good. They got pounded by Stanford. They looked bad early against Washington State, but then just came to life, which is almost like, uh oh, you know, did, did an awakening, excuse me, the sleeping giant get, you know, basically riled up out of his slumber. And now, oops, here they come, ready to roll and, and waiting for Oregon State. Uh, in that game, they lost their quarterback, Slovis, who was hurt early, a neck injury. Then this Jackson Dart kid comes in, goes 30 for 46 for 391 and two touchdowns. Drake Landon, 13 catches, 170 yards, two touchdowns. He's a, he's a six foot five guy. Like you mentioned that Oregon State does not have, I, I would say it's a given that USC is going to put up numbers. Can Oregon State slow them down at all to give their offense a chance? to keep this team in the game. Well, I think so. It's it's I mean it, it's not it's not one of the great USC teams of all time. I know they came alive last week, but you know, the first two weeks they certainly they certainly didn't light it up and they didn't light up in the sec in the first half against Washington State either. So, I mean, if you're wowed and amazed by that one half of football, then yeah, I guess Oregon State doesn't have a chance, but <laughs> but I I you know, I I kind of think 
USC is somewhere in between, you know, what we saw at Stanford and what we saw in the second half against Washington State. The the problem is is that when you face a team that's got an interim coach, maybe they got the, maybe they got some new juice, and you know who knows how that's going to impact a team. You know, plus Oregon State is going to be facing a quarterback situation. You know, they're not really sure who's going to play a quarterback, so they're going to have to defend you know game plan the system more than the quarterback. Um, you know, again, it's going to come down for Oregon State. It's going to come down to running the football. If they can run the football, keep their defense off the field, that gives them a much better chance of winning. So if they can, they can keep. If they can get somewhere between 150 to 175 yards of, of rushing on Saturday, I think they got a chance because that means the defense won't be on the field for 35 minutes. Absolutely. So Jonathan Smith said that basically he wasn't worried about which quarterback was going to play. Slovis, clearly the more experienced quarterback, 50 career touchdown passes already. It would shock me if he wasn't the starter, if he returned. Like I just, as, as well as the other kid played, how do you turn away from the guy who's been your guy for so long because of, you know, a new kid who lit it up at Washington State? But either way, Smith said he's preparing for the system because he doesn't believe they're going to change much of what they do. And clearly they're potent with the backup anyway. Yeah, I mean, and and, and again, this is a, a, another thing is Oregon State hasn't won at USC in 61 years. <laughs> it's And, and I, I don't think the, I don't think the players are going to be thinking about that, but. At some point, somebody's going to mention it to them during the week. It's got to be in the back of their mind that we've never won down here since 1960. I don't know what that I, I mean, I'm not a 19-year-old. I don't know what – I don't remember what 19-year-olds <laughs> think. But, but shoot, I mean, it, it's got to be in the back of your mind that, you know, we you know we got a chance to make history and blah, blah, blah. And I don't know. It's, 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 going, to be a, it's going to be a tough ask, but I, but I think this team is capable of at least getting the game into the fourth quarter, and then, and then we can see what happens. And plus, you know, with Jonathan, his teams have played pretty well on the road. Um, you know, in 2019, they won, th- they won three road games. Um, you know, last year, uh, shoot, what they, they, I, think they, I don't think they won eight road games, but I think some of them were close. Last year was kind of an aberration. You know they didn't play that well at Purdue, but they weren't out of it either. I, this they're not afraid to go on the road, so that that they have that in their favor too. Now you mentioned how important the running game is going to be for Oregon State. USC's run defense only giving up 104 yards per game, which is right behind Oregon State in the Pac-12 standings. However, St- Stanford had some success against them, 147 and, and averaged 4.7 per carry. So one of the things about USC that's just mind-boggling to me is that they recruit all these elite-level athletes, but they don't always play at an elite level. However, there is a lot of physical talent there. Do you think this Oregon State offensive line can get it rolling against you know the four- and five-star kids that USC has in its front seven? I mean, I, I, they 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 have a, they don't seem to be the kind of guys that back off from a challenge. I mean, anytime I talk to them, there is – you know, for the most part, they're as, as grumpy as you'd expect from an offensive line. <laughs> they, uh, you know, and, and they're, they've been around for a long time. If if this offensive line can't do it against USC, I don't know. I don't know what Oregon State offensive line can because they're never going to have a, a line that's this experienced. And they got three guys on the line that, you know, they got a shot to at least be in an NFL training camp, uh, Gray right. and Eldridge and, and Kipper, those three. So, I mean, from a talent standpoint, 
if not if not now, you know when because this this is about probably as good as it's going to get for at least a couple of years at the offensive line for Oregon State. So, what's your early prediction on this game? I called it thirty-seven, thirty-one Trojans, okay. um, but nothing would surprise me because I don't know what USC's state of mind is. You know, I don't right. know how the quarterback's <laughs> going to perform. I mean, now they got a. They at least got some video on the freshman kid if he does play, so they they at least have some idea what he can do. Um, so I don't think USC is going to you know there's not going to be any surprises like like right. perhaps that happened with Washington State. I don't know, but yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Wash with USC, but with with a caveat that nothing would surprise me. I don't think Oregon State's gonna. I guess the one thing that would surprise me if Oregon State got blown out. I don't think that's going to happen. I tend to agree with you. I, I'm going to lean USC just because they're at home and they just have, you know, the advantage in terms of overall team talent. But they're they're so up and down and so dysfunctional at times that maybe a better coach team. You know, I, I can't claim that's a given, but clearly I think Jonathan Smith, at the very least, is going to have his team prepared. Can certainly pull off an upset, but I'm going to go ahead and just stick with USC just because I think that's where the smart money would be. So if we were to say they're going to lose this game, that puts them at two and two, and then they'd have eight Pac-12 games remaining to get to that six and six. You and I both said last week that they pretty much have to get a split out of Washington and Washington State the next two games if they were to use, lose to USC and lose to both Washington teams. I don't see how they went for their final six to get in. I mean, anything could happen, I guess. But looking ahead based on what you've seen in non-conference, how do you feel now after the Idaho game about their chances of picking up four victories in this conference, which clearly is a hot mess right now? Well, I, I've said the last couple of days that these next three games are probably the season. You, you look at USC, Washington, and Washington State. Two of those three are on the road. But let's say Oregon State wins all three. I mean, it's a oh, bowl game. Yeah. There's no yeah. no question no question about it. It's a bowl game. If they can right. win two out of three. They're probably going to go to a bowl. If they win one, they're in the conversation. If they win none of those three, they're done. They're, right. they're not going bowl. <laughs> they, they're not going. They're not going from two and four and finding four wins out of those last six games. So, to me, as far as the bowl chances go, these next three games are are kind of the season. So, and I I think they're good enough to win two of these three. I don't think they can win three out of the three because I I predicted USC to win, but I. I definitely think they can get Washington at home and, and they can get Washington State up in Pullman. Right. I tend to agree. I, I still wonder about Washington. Like, I still feel like they're a lot better than they started the season and they showed some signs of that the other day, but it was against Arkansas State. But clearly, if their offense doesn't get rolling, then that's definitely a game Oregon State can get. What I'm really looking at with this is that stretch where they face Utah. Cal and Colorado, because those three teams, like to, to me, they can go one and two these next three, and go two and one in those three I just mentioned. Then they're sitting pretty good for the final three. I think the final three are going to be really tough. But I think they can steal one, but man, the Utah, California, Colorado trio—the way those three teams are playing—Oregon State legitimately could win all three of those games. Could I mean it? I'll believe it when I see it. I mean, beating Utah would be – I mean, they almost beat Utah last year at, at Salt right. Lake City. So it's not like Utah is 
is not Beal. And, they, and they've had Cal's number the last two years in Colorado. I don't know if they'll ever score again. So, um, shoot, I, yeah, I mean, I that's the way I'd picked it before the season. I pick I picked Oregon State to to win the Cal and Colorado games. But still, I, I, I think it's all set up by these next three games. I, I think if, you know, if you're two and four coming out of the Washington State game, you, you're, you'll be going into a bye week, but your mindset will be pretty low, I would think. Yeah, no, and I agree. They, they Losing all three would put them behind the eight ball, and it would just be difficult for me to believe that you could lose both those Washington games and then somehow win three in a row against these teams. But those three, like this Colorado team just got – Shut out by Minnesota. They scored only seven points against AM. Uh, Cal lost to Nevada and Utah just lost to San Diego State. So it's just, it's to me, it's just a trio of teams that could, could really set this team up because the final three games, Stanford, Arizona State, and then at Oregon, you know, that's the toughest part of the season by far. So, you know, win one of these next three, win two of the next three after that. Or maybe sweep them and then, then you're good. But I really like, I, I just like the fact that they have that middle three trio right there, which is the soft underbelly of their schedule, where no matter what happens before, that is going to set them up for the rest of the year to get that sixth win. Now, let me ask you this though. Do you think we're underselling them? I'm like, is this a team that, heck, they're going to win seven. Why are we worried about six? Or do you think just getting the six is just going to be uh, a grind in itself? I mean, We'll find out Saturday. This, I mean, they could win nine. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I just, I'm, I'm. Let's not get carried away on the, here on the. Well, I mean, I'm just on the podcast. fence. I don't, I don't really. It's, it's hard to know when you're playing Hawaii and Idaho. How good you are. They've done everything right so far, except win the opener, and openers have not been good for Jonathan Smith. So I guess I kind of discounted that game and. I mean, his last two games outside of third down against Hawaii have been pretty good. So I don't, I, I yeah, I, I mean, they could go, they could go anywhere from four to nine wins, somewhere in that, okay. they're they're in that where somewhere in that neighborhood. But these next three obviously kind of will tell you where they're going to go. So as I said at the top of the podcast here, they the last time they went two and one to start the season was 2015. However. They ended up, after starting 2-1, and one, losing nine straight Pac-12 games, which I hadn't remembered. I went back and, and looked that up. First of all, do you remember why they fell apart? And is there any parallels between that season at all and this season to where this team could fall apart as well? Well, that was Gary Anderson's first year. And, I mean, as as we've as we've come to know, know Gary Anderson really – Really wasn't much as a head coach, so um, I, I don't recall the season all that closely. I just know that, and the two wins they had were over Weber State and uh, shoot, it was another not very good team. And so it's not like it's not like two and one meant anything. It was, you know, it, but you know, the, another another thing that's kind of on the line Saturday, and I mean it's a minor thing, but they haven't won a a, a Pac-12 opener since. Uh, 2013. So that's, an, that's if you need yet another streak to end, that that would be <laughs> that would be another one. Uh, yeah, I was just looking up here to see uh, 2015. San Jose State. San Jose, yeah, it was, yeah it was San, San Jose State, and they lost at Michigan. That was their one loss. But right. 
Yeah, they and they and they weren't even competitive in Pac-12 play. They they got routed pretty much every Saturday, except you know they lost the Ducks by ten that year. But no, that wasn't that was not a good team. I remember a lot of fans insisting that Gary Anderson was going to be way better than Mike Riley ever was. <laughs> oh, I never understood the Mike Riley thing. He was he he was, in my opinion, the greatest blessing that Oregon State has had as a coach. I mean, he got. He got he's anybody that that says anything bad about Mike Riley has no idea what they're talking about. I mean, he did things that Oregon State has never done and and shouldn't shouldn't have been doing in the in the 2003 to 2013 era. I mean, they just they were winning all the time and right. That just did happen Oregon State. But he was holding them winning. back. He was holding them back from greatness. <laughs> Sorry. They won ten just, games at least. They won ten games at least once, and they won nine a bunch of times. It's just that that's just insane. I mean, it's it's the same thing with Oregon State fans and defensive coordinators. They never love. They never <laughs> like any of them. Mark Banker was a bum. Tim Tibbetsar is a bum. You know, it's just she's they they. they, they yeah, I'm sure it's the same thing with Duck fans on certain things too. Oh, so. it's all it's all fan bases. I just. I'll just never forget yeah. that week stretch where I just could not believe that people were like, it was one thing. Okay. He's gone. They're going to bring in Anderson. That's great. Let's see what he does. But the bashing of Raleigh was just like, whoa, what are you people smoking? Anyway, it was, it, maybe it was just a small percentage of the fan base, but I'll never forget that. I mean, I, I, I mean, did he get a little stale toward the end? Yes. So did Bilotti. I mean, coaches, right. you know, I always, I always believe coaches have a shelf life of, I don't know, seven to eleven years, and you know, they were most the most of them. You know, once they get past that, the things start to ebb a little bit. Unless you're, you know, Nick Saban. As we wrap this up, is there a position group? I'm just throwing you a curveball here. Is there a position group you're most concerned about going into Pac-12 play? Oh, uh, yeah, the secondary. I mean. I need to see them really step up and and handle a, a you know hold their own against a, a, a good crew of receivers. I mean they, Rajon Wright to me is a really good cornerback, but can the other guys hold? Jaden Grant has has proven to be valuable, but as a unit, or can they can they consistently get off the field on third down? And that and that's not all on the secondary. Obviously the the. The guys up front need to put some pressure on the quarterback, but but they can't. Yeah, that's the one I'm watching the most when it comes to a, a concern because I mean, so far it's yeah, yeah we need to see more. <laughs> we need to see more, and they're going to see it in the They're going to see it in the Pac-12. I mean, they, right. they they will see they will see some legitimate passing attacks in the Pac-12. So yeah, we'll see what happens. All right. Well, we maybe both not, have maybe, maybe maybe not maybe not when they play the Huskies though. I don't know. I don't know if they'll have their stuff together or not by then. But anyway. all right, that's it for the, the almost said Blazers for the Beavers Banter Podcast. Big game at USC, followed by Washington and Washington State as these Beavers look to reach the six win threshold and qualify for a bowl game. We will be back next week to break down the USC game and look ahead to the showdown with Washington, a game that the Beavers had a chance to win last year, but let's slip away. Anything, any final words there, Nick? No, uh, 
I'm I'm talking to Jonathan Smith's uh, high school coach today. Oh, okay. Just to pick his brain about how Jonathan, you know, where 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 this coaching thing came from, and um, since they're going back to L.A. and he he grew up as a USC fan, so I don't know. I just thought I'd, I'd talk to his coach, and I don't know how I found him. It was he's a vice principal at at a high school that's you know, he doesn't coach football anymore, and so. Okay. Anyway, I'm, I'm talking to them later today. So I'll have some on Oregon Live uh, later this week. All right. Beavers fans, look forward to that article coming later this week from Nick Daschle. And we will see you next week on the Beavers Banter Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and give us a positive review. We would appreciate that. And have a good rest of your week and enjoy Saturday's game.